Welcome to the Solo Shot Sports Podcast. I'll be your host, Dom Mana, and we'll be talking things MLB and NFL over here. If that's not for you, I appreciate the click. Uh, but the inaugural episode's here, and I've been really itching to get back on the mic, and I'm happy to be here with you guys. Baseball season is about 20% of the way done. 30 games in, we're starting to really get a feel for what these teams are, and unfortunately for my Boston Red Sox, it, it's not looking like it's going to be our year, but still a lot of season left. I think that the team from the AL I really want to highlight is the Los Angeles Angels. Mike Trout is back, and baseball is better for it. He's hitting 337 with 9 home runs and 19 RBIs. He's got a 462 on base percentage, a 726 slugging, and an 1188 OPS, which is on base plus slugging. He is on a tear, looking like he might be able to win his fourth MVP. And the Angels are tied with the Astros for the AL West lead. Now, the biggest knock on Mike Trout's illustrious career has been the fact that he has only been to the playoffs one time. And he's won three MVPs. He's won a Rookie of the Year. He's considered the best player of this generation. But he hasn't been able to win. Despite having first bout Hall of Famer Albert Pujols on his team. Despite having former MVP Josh Hamilton, former All-Stars like Justin Upton, this team is finally starting to put things together. And it's through Trout being healthy for the first time in the last two years. But it's also through Taylor Ward's breakout. He's hitting 367, 7 home runs, 17 RBIs, higher on base than Trout, lower slugging, but a higher on base plus slugging at 1199. Taylor Ward has been on a tear, and having Juice at the top of that lineup in front of the Trouts and Otanis and Rendones, and even the Walshes and Marshes that are playing very well right now, this team has the offense to make it to October, and that should be really exciting for baseball fans, because Mike Trout is someone that needs to be seen on the national stage. It's always been an ongoing joke that Mike Trout could walk into a gas station in the middle of the country and nobody would recognize him because he's not a big personality and he's just not on the national radar. He plays in LA. He's not in the playoffs a lot. He's not loud. That's just not who he is, but he's the best player of this generation. And I think that with Taylor Ward's breakout, if at least two of Marsh, Walsh, Otani, and Rendon can continue to hit well. Rendon decides to hit left-handed the other day and goes yard in his first ever at-bat left-handed. But the real thing here is pitching. The Angels have been unable to put good pitching around this talented lineup for the last decade. It's been really sad, but we saw in the last couple MLB drafts, they have been hammering, just taking a million shots on pitchers. And this year, they have Otani, Syndergaard, and Sandoval all pitching very well. Now, chances are Syndergaard will get hurt. This might fall apart, but they need to get a pitcher. Reed Detmers might be that pitcher. He no-hit the Rays in his 11th Major League start 22 years old, just like your boy here. I'm out here talking to you people. He's out there no-hitting the Tampa Bay Rays. 
And Reed Detmers, this could be a flash in the pan. Congratulations on making history, man. But the Angels need a fourth and fifth starter. They, they, they need to have five guys that can give them just league average stuff. So this lineup can just continue to win them games. And it's something where Otani is amazing on both sides of the ball. The modern day Babe Ruth. Sandoval has been a gem this year for them. And Syndergaard has came back from the injury pretty well. But with his injury history, I wouldn't bank on him being one of my big three the entire way. So the Angels are back. Mike Trout is back. And this team has a lot of potential. I just hope that Angels ownership finally sees what they need to do and goes out there, trade Joe Adele for an arm. Make those kind of moves. And I think it's something where if they really want Mike Trout to have a chance to win a championship, they need to start going all in. And I'm excited for the Angels. I'm excited for that American League West division now because the the Rangers are hitting pretty well. The Mariners have an exciting young team. And the Astros are still good with Dusty Baker getting his 2000th win, which is huge. First bout Hall of Fame manager. But Mike Trout and the Angels can be a problem. They just need to keep league average pitching to go along with this killer lineup. Going over to the NL. Another team that to me has been a surprise is the New York Mets. 22-11 under Buck Showalter. They have not lost a single series yet in 2022. And it just feels like a completely different Mets team from last year. Pete Alonso's hitting again. He leads the team with 35 hits, 8 home runs, 28 RBIs, 20 runs scored in a 5.08 slugging. And they've added Max Scherzer to the richest pitcher's contract in MLB history. Him and Chris Bassett, who they traded for, are both pitching lights out. But they just have a different feel on this Mets team. Last year, it felt like they had to do everything just to underperform. And now they're overperforming on all cylinders. It feels like a tight-knit group. It feels like these guys want to win. It feels like these guys are more confident. Lindor's bouncing back. And I think it was really exemplified in that ninth inning comeback against the Philadelphia Phillies in Philadelphia when the Mets just never said die and they continue to fight back and come back from down 7-1 to one to up 8-7 to seven in the ninth inning. It was one of the crazier comebacks we've seen recently. And I think that this Mets team playing this well right now when we know they're able to add a bat with the way Steve Cohen manages. We know they're adding arguably the the best pitcher in baseball and Jacob deGrom later this season. This team is scary, and I think that the Mets, while last year they were the popular pick in the NL East, this year they're going to surprise myself and more people as they continue to just ride this hot streak into the playoffs. And I'm excited for Mets fans. It's been a very up and down fan base over the years and they've been going all in to win and for them to just disappoint so badly last year, I felt bad, but with the way they constructed the team, I wasn't shocked, but 
this is a totally different Mets team. The fact that they're willing to waive Robinson Cano when he's not producing and taking up a valuable roster spot. Mets three years ago, four years ago, they would have been like, we can't get rid of Cano. His contract's too big. He's too big of a ticket draw. We need to keep Robinson Cano on this team. And now Robinson Cano's gone, interested with the Padres. This Mets team is going to be better for it. I'm so excited for Mets fans, and I think that the city of New York right now, it arguably might have the two best teams in baseball with the Mets and the Yankees. The Yankees have the best record in baseball, and it's it's something where New York baseball right now is great, and the Subway Series will be top tier this year because it really is good when both of those teams are good at the same time. I think that the Major League Baseball season, it's been flying by. We're halfway through May, and I think that we will really get to see what these teams are made of between now and the All-Star break. For my Boston Red Sox, they are playing like absolute garbage. They do not have a closer, and the hitting has been very inconsistent. So a team like the Red Sox that slightly overperformed last year and are underperforming this year, if they don't start to pick things up, Will they be sellers at the deadline? In the NL West, with how stacked that division is, are these teams that are fighting going to buy to try to continue the race, or are they going to bow their heads to the Dodgers and say, hey, this just isn't going to be our year? There's a lot of interesting storylines in these deeper divisions, I think, that will really play out like the AL East and the NL West, who I think are the two most stacked divisions in baseball. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. I'm excited to see the rest of the baseball season pan out, and I'm hoping that we will continue to see great baseball throughout the entire summer. Switching things over to the NFL. The NFL draft is now two weeks behind us. There's a lot of initial reaction overhype and buzz but give it a week or two and you really start to settle into what the normal opinions and values of certain draft picks and landing spots are for players now the wide receivers were the talk of the town with this class the quarterbacks weren't as good as everyone thought they were the running backs weren't very deep the wide receiver room was the talk of the town. Six wide receivers going in the first round, tying the record with the most wide receivers taken in the first three rounds. This class is special. It's deep. And there's a lot of guys that are going to be very interesting at the next level. I want to highlight some guys who are kind of on the fence. Everyone has strong faith in Drake London, Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks, Jamison Williams, Chris Olave. Those five clearly are in a good situation where the team values them as a potential number one wide receiver. There was another guy in the first round who probably was overdrafted, but the fact that he was drafted where he was to the Washington Commanders, Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, arguably the best hands in the entire class was a guy with a really good profile. He was a senior declare, and I usually put that as more of a red flag, but with the transfer portal and COVID year, I think that guys who came out as seniors this year 
can't really be scrutinized to the same level of years past. But Jahan Dotson goes 16th overall to Washington, a team where behind Terry McLaurin, who's in a contract year, they have Curtis Samuel, who was not healthy last year, Deami Brown, who was not able to produce last year, and a tight end room where Logan Thomas is coming off an injury, John Bates behind him. So it's a good situation for Jahan Dotson to step up as the clear number two in an offense that I think will be better than last year. I think that Carson Wentz, as uh, polarizing as he is, is a much better NFL quarterback than Taylor Heineke. And I think that they'll be able to take that next step with McLaurin, taking a lot of the the coverage away. Jahan Dotson will be able to eat underneath in a Deontay Johnson-like role for Washington. So I think he's being slept on a little bit too much as kind of the other guy that was taken in the first round. I think that he's actually in a pretty decent situation, and he'll be a very good NFL pro. He might never be a number one but a possession receiver plus that could operate as a number one, but profiles more as a two, I think is exactly in his wheelhouse and range of outcomes. And I think that he would deserve to be a first round pick with his speed and with his hands. So he might be a little undersized. He might not be perfect, but Jahan Dotson's going to be a good NFL pro. Then going on to the guy who's the first wide receiver taken on day two, the Green Bay Packers traded up and made Christian Watson the most divisive player in this wide receiver class. He's a senior from a small school, and like I said, I'm not putting as much stake on that as I would in years past with the transfer portal and COVID. He dominated at North Dakota State University. He had 40-something percent of the team's targets and yardage. He was a mega producer for a run-first team. And he ran very fast, dominated corners at the Senior Bowl, and he goes to a wide receiver room that just lost Devontae Adams and has a huge hole for targets there. What is Christian Watson going to be? Because his most comparable players are field stretchers like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but the targets that are just left there in that Green Bay offense need to go somewhere. And Christian Watson is either going to be the biggest smash or the biggest trap of all these wide receivers. It's going to be something where Christian Watson is someone I will not touch. I'd rather be wrong with Christian Watson than be right. And it's not that he's a bad player. I just think that these wide receivers that got drafted high in the first round or in this case early second to a Green Bay or a Kansas City would just be overdrafted and I would not be interested in their value and whether that was Dotson or Watson whoever went to those situations I probably wouldn't have agreed with their market value and Christian Watson has a a wide range but I just think there's so many safer receivers in this class than Christian Watson so I personally won't be touching him But I do see the clear path to year one success for him. And hopefully he can get on Rodgers' good side early. Because if he does not, people are going to be eating crow real quick on Christian Watson. The next wide receivers that were taken 
One was drafted because of his helmet, and the other one was drafted because of his production. Now, the Houston Texans picked John Metkey out of the University of Alabama. Coming off the ACL, he profiles like a Jahan Dotson light, a possession receiver at the next level that could probably be ran through as a number one, but profiles definitely as a number two. And Metkey was drafted to play opposite of Brandon Cooks in a not great offense. It's something where I think he's going to have sneaky value in fantasy as a guy that will probably have 500 plus yards in year one. But I don't know if he has the staying power to turn into a real number two receiver for the long haul. So John Metkey is someone that I think is probably being slightly undervalued right now. Being a second round receiver that was drafted over guys that were considered consensusly better than him, like George Pickens and Sky Moore. But I also don't think that he's in the worst situation to succeed in year one. So he's going to be someone that if I can sell early on in his uh, career before they upgrade quarterback or upgrade the receiving core, I I think that John Mechie will be one of those like year one guys that has a solid season, but isn't someone you get excited about at the next level. Solid guy, but nothing special. Now, the other most polarizing player in this class stands at five foot eight. Short King, Wandale Robinson, New York Giants. This was a pick that, for real NFL life purposes, it, it didn't make a ton of sense for the Giants to do, especially after they got two presents in the top 10 in round one. But Wandale Robinson was a mega producer in the SEC, at Nebraska, and at Kentucky. And he checks all the analytical boxes that you could possibly want in a good receiver, except for height. His breakout age, his college target share, his dominator rating, everything is great. But 5'8", 178, hasn't really worked out at the NFL level. So he is going to be the guy that analytics guys die on. And people that are just all about film will say 5'8 doesn't fly. I think that the value dip has gotten too big on Wandale Robinson. I think that Wandale, being with Brian Dable, who has used short receivers like Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie in the back, will be able to use Wandale in ways that are exciting and be relevant. But I don't think Wandale, because of his height, will ever be able to be a top 30 wide receiver in the NFL. But I do think he could be an explosive weapon that isn't a mega target producer like he was in college, but has those flashes and plays where he's dangerous with the ball in his hands and there's a lot of ways to do it. Whether that's a Debo Samuel or Tyreek Hill light, I think that he could be that at the next level. And I think that's something that people aren't really putting into his range of outcomes, despite all the analytical benchmarks being present. So he's someone that I've gotten in a lot of Dynasty rookie drafts, and he's someone that I'm going to be just grabbing at the end of my redraft in the in the later rounds, just throwing him on the bench and see if he breaks out early. But if he doesn't, I can just drop him and redraft confidently. So it's something where I don't think he's going to be a superstar, but I think that he has the potential to be a lot better than 
where he's being drafted. The final guy I wanted to talk about is Sky Moore. We talked about being overdrafted because of the landing spot. The problem is Sky Moore fell to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is another guy that checks all the analytical boxes. But unlike Wandale Robinson, Sky Moore is perfect slot receiver size. He's got some weight on him. He's got the biggest hands in the class. Big wingspan. Former corner who's still learning how to play wide receiver. Dominated target at Western Michigan. Wearing number 24 and balling out as a receiver. That's a power move. And he became the second G5 group of five wide receiver to be drafted in the second round, joining Devontae Adams. It's elite company. Guys from his conference don't get drafted this high, especially as an early declare. You don't declare early from a small school like this unless you're a really good player. And the fact that he ran really well at the combine, has all the analytical measurables, big hands, and he's going to Kansas City that just lost Tyreek Hill's targets. If I had to bet Sky Moore or Christian Watson, who are both going into very similar situations, where the number one receiver is just leaving a bunch of targets on the board, give me Sky Moore 10 times out of 10. I understand that Green Bay traded up for Watson, and the Chiefs let Moore fall to them, but if they're both great situations with great quarterbacks, take the guy who is the better prospect on paper. Just set it and forget it. Sky Moore, to me, is the number six wide receiver in this class. And I think that with the landing spot in Kansas City, he could be a lot higher than that. So, Sky Moore, Christian Watson, if that's a decision for you in your dynasty rookie drafts, Sky Moore 10 times out of 10. Book it. I appreciate you guys listening and tapping in. Joining me on this Solo Shot Saturday. And uh, please follow me on Twitter at DominicMana44, where I will always be replying and commenting on the latest sports news. Have a great day and a blessed Sunday. Peace.